Welcome to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for joining us here in Little Gem, Alberta on the Sankey Farm, where we are visiting with Murray and Elaine Sankey, whose story compels one to pause and ask the question, when did my story begin? How did I get to where I am today? And what are the influences that led me to where I am today and who I am today? God had his hand in Murray and Elaine's life long before they could see it. And today we will let them tell you their story. Murray and Elaine, welcome to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for coming. Thank you too for coming. And uh, we just love to have you here, little gem. We invited you here to visit us a little over a year ago. And we have become friends since then. And we didn't realize we had a story until you said we had a story in you. That's why you're here today, to get our story of Little Gem. Where in the world are we? Well, we're in East Central Alberta, in uh, a dry part called, we call it the Alberta Outback. And uh, we have a large ranch here, and uh, we have a story. We realize that uh, everybody has a story, and, uh, and so we're here to share it. Mary, you once told us that your story didn't begin with you. So take us back and tell us, when did your story begin? Well, of course, when I was younger, I thought the whole world revolved around me. But as I became older, I realized, man, there were so many questions I wished I would have asked my grandfather, because that's where our story began. It began in the Ukraine, up on a shelf. My grandfather talks about when he was placed in a basket when his mother was giving birth to uh, another child. So that places my grandfather probably at two or three years of age, I would say. And it was burned into his memory how the color was disappearing from his mother's face. Uh, back then it was home births that they were doing. And uh, she died, she died. And, and so he was left with his father who then, we don't know how many years later, he died. And, uh, and so then the story goes that we don't think he had any brothers or sisters. Um, but his uncle, who was kind of hard on him, uh, was abusing him. And my grandfather decided he was going to leave the country. He was going to get out. He had heard about this request of the Canadian government to come to Canada and settle Canada, have your own land. And so at about 17, 18 years of age, he jumped on a ship and came to Montreal. And uh, I know most people have seen the film Titanic. And when I saw the film Titanic, I said, that's my grandfather. Jack is my grandfather. He jumped on this ship, no family, left everything. Well, family he had an uncle, but he didn't care about his uncle. Landed in Montreal when they should have sent him back. He instead got a job uh, on a dairy farm in Quebec and in five or six months he learned French. Now he came from the Ukraine, remember he came from the Ukraine. So uh, he learned French and then later in life we, we realized that Grandpa was very talented because he could speak five languages that he taught himself and uh, he worked his way west and uh, so he was born in 1885 so he was about, uh, this would have been about 1903 or so that he came to Canada. He worked his way west in Manitoba. He met who, his wife-to-be, and then he kept coming into Alberta. 
and he ended up just north of here about 40 miles, 45 miles, working for an American rancher that had about 500 horses. And he was a hard guy, he was a hard guy. But then very, very, uh, how would you say it, he wanted to, he had ideas for my grandfather. My grandfather had other ideas. And uh, my grandfather became aware of a uh, Ukrainian settlement down here by Hamaruka. Now, uh, that the cemetery and the church are still there in that, in that little community thing where our parents are, are buried now. But my grandfather began to travel down by walking 45 miles. He'd come down on weekends because he loved music and he loved his whiskey. And so he would play this squeeze box, we call it. It wasn't an accordion, but it was some type of a Ukrainian squeeze box that made music. So he'd walk down on weekends and play for them and he discovered some land that he could stake a claim on. And uh, George Allen, the guy he worked for, was his name. He said, Sankey, you forget that homesteading idea. He said, you work for me for a year and you'll go and buy any of them guys out. No, no, Grandpa had his own idea. Now in his walking, he educated himself as to where he was by reading the survey markers at the at the northeast corner of every section. And that was, of course, in Roman numerals that the surveyor people had, had installed. And he knew exactly where he was in the country when he was walking. So later on, as the settlers came in around 1908, 9, 10, 12, in there, he would hire on to show them where their claims were because they'd arrive in town off the train and they hadn't a clue where to go. And so Grandpa would hire on and meet them. And so that is memory of my grandfather. So he came from, from the Ukraine. He was kind of like that character in the movie, the Titanic, but his Titanic didn't go down. It was the ship that came over Thank here. Thank God. And yeah, <laughs> and, and he was a very big part of your life coming from the Ukraine. Now, Elaine, you have a very similar, it didn't start with you, your story, but it also started with your grandparents. That's right. Um, my grandparents all also emigrated from the Ukraine, except they came to eastern Saskatchewan. And uh, that's where they homesteaded and raised their family, and that was my beginning. Was that easy for them? Of course, it was never easy. You know, um, they were very poor, as it most everybody in that era, in that community was. And, uh, but, you know, they always had family values and, and raised their, their family and uh, did the best they could. And with those difficulties, um, how did they make ends meet? Well, I remember after my grandfather retired even, um, he would take the tin cans that they would buy at the grocery store and once they were empty, he would cut them apart and use them as siding on his shed. Um, you know, it, part growing up in the, or going through the, the Great Depression, you learned to use everything that you had, even the string that the grocers were tied with from the grocery store, you know, on the boxes. And uh, yes, uh, it, it, uh, it wasn't easy. Nothing went to waste. No. You saved everything because you didn't have. That's right. But most people were the, in the same situation. Murray, your grandfather moved west to Alberta. Where did his seeds of faith start growing? Well, it's, it's quite an interesting story that we love as a family because as my grandfather was walking those 45 miles on weekends, 
to play for their dances and drink their whiskey. He couldn't do it all in one day. He left work on Fridays and uh, he'd walk and it would get dark. And back in them days, when it got dark, what do you do? There's no hotels or motels. And you'd look around for a light. And if there was no light, you just curled up in a, in a hollow somewhere because uh, there was very few trees and, uh, and go to sleep. But he noticed this light somewhere south of Loyalist, Alberta, which was almost halfway on his trip. And so he went and knocked on the door. This was early evening. And here was a family, and we found out later, from a North Dakota family that were studying the Bible. They were having a Bible study. And they invited him in. And that was sort of customary in them days. You just went and knocked on somebody's house that had a light to stay overnight. And so he, he was well accepted. He went in and if it had been me, this is the amazing thing, if it had been me or Elaine, we'd have said, are you hungry? Would you like something to eat? And they possibly did, but they invited him to join in their Bible study. And uh, so he did. And he listened to what they were reading and what they were studying. And for the first time in his life, he discovered from God's word that you didn't need to go to the priest to have your sins forgiven. You could talk to God yourself. It said in his Bible that you could do this. And they, uh, they also, because he was musical, and they obviously were too, they taught him the song, Whiter Than Snow. The next morning, when he was left, rested and fed, uh, he, he says he was walking on air, singing the song, Whiter Than Snow. your grandfather he's walking across the prairies and he's it's getting too dark so he sees the light in the distance he goes he knocks on the door it's a North Dakota family they're having an amazing Bible study he learns so much he's walking on air and he's singing whiter than snow 
Yeah, so Mike, can you imagine that Saturday morning, he wakes up, he's fed both spiritually and physically, and he's walking out of there. He told us he was walking on air, singing the song, Whiter Than Snow, and heading to play for their dance and drink their whiskey. Get that picture. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, Murray, there was the planting of the first seed of the gospel truth in his heart. How did that seed get nourished? Not quite sure because he did not uh, become a Christian until a few years later. But right about that time, he did marry my grandmother in 1908. And in 1910, they staked their claim on the homestead here at Hamaruka. And uh, they began their life together. And it wasn't until about 1915 when a traveling preacher, a Ukrainian traveling preacher by the name of Titi Babienko came through the area and uh, I'm just amazed. They don't make preachers like that these days. He carried a hammer and he helped the settlers build their houses and their barns during the daytime. And my grandfather says that in the evenings he held meetings and taught them the Word of God. And my grandfather and grandmother said, this is, this is truth. This is what we want to do. And so in 1915, they were baptized by Bobby Anko, and he raised up a church, one of the largest in the province at that time, of 75 members in this, in this area. So Elaine, tell us about the conversion of your grandparents. Well, it's interesting, the parallels, when you go back in, in history of our two families, because this same preacher, Bobby Anko, worked his way across the prairies from the, from the west to the east, and in the late 30s, he was in eastern Saskatchewan, where my grandparents were, where they had homesteaded and, and were raising their family. And he did the same thing. He, you know, helped them build their houses and barns and, and taught them God's word. And my grandparents, on my father's side, my mother and father, who were pretty newly married at the time, my father's brother and his sister and several other families in that area were baptized by the same preacher. So, you know, it's amazing how, when you look back, how a seed planted by a North Dakota family on the prairie of Alberta was nurtured by this preacher that influenced both our families, and not only our grandparents, but how it has come down through the generations into, you know, my in-laws, my my parents, and into our family and our children. That is amazing. So if we think about all the interactions that we have every day, they may be little interactions, but it can influence future generations. You never know what a word in due season or a kindness or, you know, just a, a testimony for the Lord, what it can do. So, Murray, your grandfather was converted. Your grandparents were converted as well, Elaine. And sometimes when we look at, at conversions, we just think, oh, exciting. But there's, a, there's, there's something you have to kind of give up, and that's what you used to be living like. And so your grandfather used to be very social. You want to tell us about that? Well, he was, we come to discover, quite a party animal. He loved socializing, he loved uh, partying. And uh, you know, uh, six, seven years later, when he became a Christian, he decided to change his lifestyle. 
And so he did. And he tells us, told us, that his friends and his neighbors thought he lost his mind. He would go to town and they'd stand across the street and they'd go like this, they'd point at Sankey. You know, they, they couldn't understand why a man would do this. And they forsook him. And he said that that was the hardest thing in his life. He went through the influenza in 18, where he lost his hair and lost their firstborn son. He experienced hardship on the homestead. Some of these stories, when I heard them, I just thought, oh, that's, that's a good story of Grandpa. And I had that affirmed here just this spring, where uh, I was uh, leveling off some ground on the homestead with my, with my machine. And uh, this shiny thing appeared. And I said, what's that, you know, just one shiny thing. It was not some junk pile or anything, but it was on the fence line at the far end of the quarter. So I got down and I picked it up. And here was this, this whiskey bottle. It says, Gooderham's Whiskey, established 1832. I thought, well, this is special, you know. So I took it home that night and we looked up. Now, if it hadn't been chipped, it was worth $25 online and so I was going to throw it away and then I thought there's a story here there's a story here this has got to be my grandfather's whiskey bottle you know it's at the far end of the quarter so picture this now guys he's out there plowing with his oxen he's got this whiskey bottle somehow around his neck and he gets to the far end where grandma's at the other end putting the house together he has his little whiskey eventually it empties out so he chucks it under the fence, okay? And here now, 110 years later, I uncover the evidence, okay? And I would just love, when we all get to heaven, to ask my grandpa, is this yours? Oh, you remember this? That. You know? Wow. So, uh, uh, coupled with this story, though, it affirms that, um, that he was right. Now, I, I look at this and I say, by God's grace, I'm not going to AA today. You know, now, his friends forsook him. He told us it took many years later for his friends to come back. And it happened because they lived on a corner two miles from town. And my grandmother was the best cook in the community. And so people would plan on their trip to town to stop at Sankey's for lunch. Okay? And so while grandma was making the lunch, grandpa was visiting with them. And he said after several years, his friends discovered that Sankey didn't go crazy. Sankey didn't go crazy, but he said it took quite a few years. It would have taken some time to win their confidence and win their friendship back. Yes. So Elaine, you also grew up on a farm. So there's a lot of similarities between the two of you. Yes, um, my parents were married and lived in Saskatchewan on a farm and had my brother and sister there and then it was difficult because we didn't have water on our farm. They couldn't find a well, uh, water in a well. So they decided to move just a little further east across the border into Manitoba. And that's where I was born. We had two quarters of land, which wasn't a lot. And so to supplement income, my father would work for the railroad in the summertime. And uh, when I was born, um, I had a hemorrhage on my brain. First, you know, back then, it really wasn't diagnosed other than it was very serious. The doctor said if it got any bigger, it, it, you know, I could possibly die. And 
There was um, a preacher, a Seventh-day Adventist preacher, who um, was friends of my parents, and they prayed for me, and miraculously, it resolved. And uh, so I'm very, very grateful for that. Now, growing up on the farm, we had chickens, we had cows, we um, you know, had a lot of chores, we had a big garden, but it was a little different country than it is here where it was very green and hilly. It rained there a lot more than it does here. So Mary, you told us about your grandparents. Tell us about your parents and how they affected your journey in life. Okay, well, the Sankeys, of course, survived the Depression. They learned all about resilience and sticking to it. When my mother graduated from the University of Calgary with her teaching degree, there was a list of towns to go to. And Hemeruka was on this list, and they had never heard of Hemeruka. And so her classmates dared her to go there. So mother showed up in Hemeruka, and dad noticed her, and of course the rest is history. They got married two or three years later, but in, in 49. And in 1950, they bought Little Jem. Now, Little Jem was owned uh, by a couple that wanted to retire. They owned the store, the post office, the gas business, Imperial Oil Gas Business, seven quarters of land. And uh, my dad scraped together enough money to, to buy the place for, I think he said, $3,500. And there was like $1,500 worth of stock in the store, he said. So anyway, mother was raising us running the store, hired men were farming, dad was trucking cattle and grain, and uh, he was going broke. He wasn't getting crops. He was getting some crops, but they'd either get hailed or frozen or snowed under, or one year a prairie fire went through and burnt his grain bins. It took 12 years before my dad actually marketed a good crop. It was in the 60s. So my mother and dad were working hard and not getting anywhere. They were out of money. I didn't realize it, but they were bankrupt. They had no money. So mother went back teaching. Um, us kids were helping on, on the farm. And so as I got older and that, I decided to go away to boarding school for part of my high school and some college. Now uh, Elaine can tell the rest of that. So Elaine, is that did you meet at the boarding school that Mary went to? Yes, actually we did. Um, it's uh, a Christian boarding school put on by our church in Lacombe, Alberta. And I was in grade 12 when I met Murray and he was first year college. And uh, I first noticed him, he was um, with a friend of mine and he was wearing this crazy hat. And I thought, who's that guy with the crazy hat? You know, he's not crazy crazy but you know he's different he's unusual and and that's when I first noticed him so then my girlfriend set up a, a time when there was a group of us going to Red Deer to shop and Murray and his sister and my friend and her boyfriend and I went on this shopping trip and we weren't together while we shopped but when we got back together to go back to the school we discovered that he and I had both bought the same thing and that was the Anne Murray 45 of Snowbird. So that, you know, was... It was a sign. It was a sign. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was kind of the sign that, that we did have something in common and, and we did have some chemistry too. And um, so at that time, as far as Murray knew, I was a city girl because when I was 14, 
My father had sold the farm and we had moved to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So as Marie and I were getting to know each other and there was a certain evening that we were sitting in the fall outside and I said to him, oh, you know, I like the sound of those combines. It reminds me of home. And he's like, what? You know the sound of combines? Because he thought I was a city girl. <laughs> so that, that's kind of... Um, yeah, her stock price went up. <laughs> <laughs> that's where our journey began and how we got to know each other. Yes. And so you took it further? We did. <laughs> uh, you know, after um, I graduated, uh, we were engaged. We each worked for a year before we got married. And then I followed him or came out here to Little Gem. To the, to the farm and of course I had stars in my eyes and all I could see was this handsome young man I was marrying not thinking about much about the countryside I was coming to and I can remember looking out one evening and I couldn't see any lights on the horizon and I didn't know hardly anybody in the community and I thought to myself am I the only one on this planet what on earth have I done <laughs> And we have run out of time, <laughs> so so we're going to, I, I hate to cut it off here, this is a really important part of your story, but I'm going to ask you to continue your story next week, would that be okay? Sure. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> Good. So we're going to close with a word of prayer. I wonder, Mary, if you could pray for us as we close. Good. Father in heaven, we just uh, are reminded as we reflect on our family history of your leading in our lives and the interest you take in us little earthlings that you love us so much and that you have a plan for each of us and in our particular family there was a plan as we look back now that is still being fulfilled as we go on uh, from day to day and we just thank you for loving us and for caring for us for leading us by way of your Holy Spirit for leading my grandfather to accept you as his personal Savior. We thank you for this and praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Mary and Elaine, and we look forward to meeting with you again next week to continue sharing your story. Listening to Murray and Elaine's story has taught us practical life lessons, such as how to live with optimism and with resilience. So our free offer for you today is Words of Hope. Words of Hope will help you see other life lessons that guide us all in our Christian walk, such as the blessing of generosity, the power of humility, how to set priorities, and the way to persevere when life is tough. Words of Hope aims to bring you closer to Christ, the true source of life and light from above. We want you to experience the truth that is found in the words of Jesus when he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So at a very young age, I fell in love with the green John Deere tractors. And that was at about eight years of age. I learned to drive this one. When I was about 12 years old, it was time for a new tractor. And uh, my dad ordered it, it came in, a new John Deere tractor, and 
When I was in school, I knew that he had gone to town to get it. When I came home from school, I looked around the yard. Dad was not around, but I found the tractor in a shed. And I sat on that tractor and smelled the new paint till it got to be dark outside. And I had decided at that point that I was going to be a farmer. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, please visit iiw.ca or you can go to our IIW Canada YouTube channel and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening.